Good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? I'm not going to ask you if you have a good week or a bad week. What I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to say, or I'm going to ask you, who here is feeling like they could just crawl back into bed this morning? Look at that resounding, yes, please, let's get this over with, let's get back to bed. Well, it is what? It's half past nine in the morning. I don't care what my digital watch says or my phone. It's half past nine and I should be... Oh, no, I'm usually here at half past nine, so that's not going to work. <sighs> anyway, guess what? This morning is going to be fantastic because you are tired. You want to go back to bed. But you're here. You are here to worship. And you are going to put yourself aside and you are here to worship a living God who doesn't have that kind of sleepiness at first thing in the morning. He is always wide awake and on the ball. And we are going to entrust ourselves with him this morning because our weakness means that his strength will flow through us this morning. Less of us, more of him. Because let's face it, if it was down to us, it would be half-hearted at best this morning, wouldn't it? So let's trust in God this morning. Charlotte, you're going to read for us. <coughs> Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for Charlotte. Lord, we, we just ask, Lord, that the words that Charlotte speaks, Father, will just touch our hearts. May these words just reach into our very being, Lord, and change us in some way, Lord. We pray for Charlotte that she will have a strong voice, that you will fill her full of your Holy Spirit as she reads your Holy Scriptures. Amen. Do you want the mic? So we're reading Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. <coughs> Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Amen. Thank you, Charlotte. So this morning we're looking at the third temptation of Christ. We've had two. We've had Jesus wanting to have his physical needs met in the food, the bread. We've had him 
have the relational testing of wanting his father to scoop him up and to carry him off to safety in the second temptation. And now the third temptation has come in quick succession. Remember, these are straight away, one after another. He's still hungry. He is still starving to death. He is still wanting God to take the cup from him, just like in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is still wanting the presence of his father and the safety of his father. He is feeling all of those things, and then the devil takes him to a mountain. Now, we must look at that. Remember we said last week, the devil doesn't have the power to whisk people away. He doesn't have the same powers that God has. He took him to the temple and made him climb up to the temple. And then we see something here in the text that says he took him to a very high mountain. Now, there are lots of mountain ranges. The mountains are quite high. They're not Everest high in that part of the world, but they're still quite high. You can get up on those mountains and you can see over the whole of Jerusalem and the Holy Land. You can see all of that from those mountains. But that's not what the text says, is it? The text says, took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. <coughs> Flipping act, that's a high mountain, isn't it? That's a high mountain there you can see around the curvature of the earth, isn't it? Unless you're a flat earther, and then maybe I should say, you know, stop watching YouTube. Um that's a high mountain. Now, I feel, personally, that this wasn't just a very specific time that Jesus was looking at. Now, remember, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they're all one. They all have the same abilities, personality. Well, they're separate personalities, but their personality is all about love. They have attributes. They can see everything. They can know everything. They can be anywhere and everywhere, all at the same time. They have unlimited power. So how did the devil take a man, Jesus, to a mountain so high he could see all the kingdoms of the world? Well, there's only one thing, one person that I believe has the power to make that happen. Do you know who could have done that? Who said that? God. God's in this. God is Helping Satan? Ooh, there's a terrifying thought. God is allowing Satan to tempt his son. And he's giving him his biggest temptation yet. The one that Jesus wants to fulfill more readily than anything. 
and I'll tell you why. When Jesus went to the top of that mountain and the devil said to him, look, look at all of those kingdoms. Look at the majesty, the splendor. Look at the buildings, the furnishings, the clothing, the majesty, the respect that these people have for the kings. Look at how well these people are dressed, how well these people are living. Look at the power that these kings wield. You can have all of that majesty, all of those expensive robes, those baubles, those crowns, the jewels, the money, the power. You can have all of that. And all you've got to do is get down on your knees and worship me and I will grant it to you. Every single kingdom from the dawn of time till the end of time will be yours. All of that money, power, clothing, fear, respect, privilege, honour, that can be yours right now, Jesus. All you've got to do is one little thing. Just get down on your knees and worship me as your God. Now, the devil's not hugely clever here because he's tempting Jesus using his own standards. Look at this word here. <coughs> Splendor. Now, in the Western world, the Western society right now, we are materialists, aren't we? We love the things. Give us the things. More things, please. We've even got a thing on our phones called Amazon that makes things appear at our front door the next day. <coughs> things! We can have things made in China arrive at our front doors in under 24 hours. And then we look at them and go, oh, it's a thing. Hmm, know what that needs? More things. We love the things. And the devil, he loves the things too. Loves the things. Now, I'm not saying that the owner of Amazon is the devil. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that Jeff Bezos is, is the devil. No, I'm not. Definitely not saying that. But the devil likes you to want things. Because things bring happiness, don't they? We all know that. Things make you happy, right? Uh, no. No, they don't. Not at all. You get that little rush, though, don't you? That dopamine rush. Oh, I'm going to buy something, I'm going to buy something. Oh, yes, I bought it. And then it arrives and you go, yeah. And then you open it and you go, yeah. And then you put it down and then that's it. The rush over. Little tip for you. If you're going through Amazon and you've got a bit of an Amazon addiction, create a list, right? A little shopping list on your Amazon account. And when you feel like tapping buy now, that little one-click button, put it in a list. Add it to a list. 
and then carry on shopping. And then when you find another thing, put that in the list. And then <coughs> put your phone away. It gives you the same rush. Trust me, it gives you the same rush. Because you've added a thing and you've moved a thing and you've got the thing in this thing. You've got it, it's there. But you haven't had to pay for it. Hey! You haven't had to find somewhere to put it once it arrives. Dopamine hit, done. And then later, when you go back to it and you read through this list, you go, what on earth was I thinking? Little tip for you there. But the devil loves things and he wants you to have things and he wanted Jesus to have things. That's why he says about, he wants them, he showed you all the kingdoms and their splendor, their majesty, all that lovely stuff. Now Jesus, he was used to majesty and honor and things because he's Jesus. He can have all the things he wants. But there was one thing that the devil really didn't think through. And that's exactly what Jesus was going to accomplish and why. Because Jesus wasn't trying to accomplish what he eventually did accomplish on the cross and through rising from the dead. He didn't do it for things. He didn't do it for splendor. He didn't do it for majesty. He didn't do it for gold, respect, power. He did it for you. And have a look at yourself. How splendid do you look? How majestic do you look? How much power have you got? How much money have you got? And he did it for you. Now think about how wretched that you know, and only you know, you are. Think about all the things that you do in the course of a day, in a week, a month, or a year that are pretty morally reprehensible. That if someone else had a glimpse into your head, think about what they would think if they were walking around the brain in your head and they saw all these memories of the things that you've done. Would you feel pretty splendid? Would you feel pretty majestic? No. The thought of someone knowing what I'm like in there terrifies me beyond imagination. I know what a person I am. No one else knows that apart from him. He knows every single thing that I've done, every single thing that I will do, and he knows exactly why I did them. And he still loves me. Loves me enough that his only son should be put to death and suffer the most insufferable, painful, and undignified death. So a wretch like me could enter into the splendor of the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus, now he would have been tempted. 
by this. Even though he didn't want the magic, the power, the majesty and all of that, he didn't want that, but he would have been tempted by this. Do you know why he would have been tempted by this? Because because he was human. But there is a very specific reason why he would have been tempted to be in control of all the kingdoms of the earth forever. No. No. He could make a difference. That would have been very tempting for him. He didn't look out and he didn't see the splendor in these kingdoms. He saw wretches in charge of wretches. He saw people obsessed with power, money, sex. He saw people being abused. He saw people being suppressed, oppressed. He saw people being killed, controlled. And in that moment, all he had to do, remember, was to get down on his knee and surrender to the devil. In that moment, he could have done it. He could have brought a little piece of heaven to earth right there and then. He could have ended suffering. He could have been the king of kings on earth right there and then. And all he had to do was bend his knee to the devil. And he could have ended the suffering because he would have been the one in control. He would have been the one in power. He would have been controlling the kingdoms of the world. He would have been God on earth. Imagine that. He could have changed everything. He could have stopped people being horrible to each other. He could have ruled on earth as he did in heaven. Fantastic! World suffering ended, right? He could have made a difference. He could have saved lives. But of course, ultimately, it's a fool's errand, isn't it? Because those people were still going to die. No matter how well cared for they were, they're still going to die. And then what happens to them after that? I'll tell you what, nout, nothing. They enter into that abyss of nothingness. Because Jesus failed. If he took up the devil's offer, he would have made lives changed. But our eternal lives well, the price hasn't been paid for them, has it? Because Jesus is worshipping Satan. He has turned away from God. He's turned away from himself. He has denied who he is by worshipping Satan. Imagine that. He would say a bit later on, a house <coughs> divided cannot stand. He can't make the difference he so longed to make by accepting the devil's offer. There's more at stake than the physicalness of our well-being. 
There is the spiritual element. And that's the real reason. Jesus had to take courage. He had to take courage because he had to essentially say, I'm not going to make the biggest difference now. He could have saved lives there and then. And he had to, in that temptation, I have a mission, I have a purpose, I have a goal, and I must accomplish it. Because if I do not accomplish it, all is lost. All is for nothing. And then he said to Satan, Get out! Clear off! I am not having it! Go! Get away from me, Satan. He didn't politely say, I'm terribly sorry, but I can't accept your wonderful offer. Um, just do make your way to the exit. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Satan offended him. He offended God. Satan was trying to take the place of God in Christ's heart. He could not abide with that. It disgusted Christ that the devil thought that he could take the place of God. It was disgusting, abhorrent to him. He could not abide in that darkness. So he said, get out. Get away. And what happened? The devil fled. Had it away on his toes. And that teaches us a very good lesson about temptation, doesn't it? What happens when you are tempted? Remember, you want the thing you're being tempted with. Otherwise, it's not temptation. And if you know that that temptation is wrong, if you know that you are not supposed to have that thing, then you have but one chance to avoid it. You could rely on yourself, couldn't you? You could say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be strong and have willpower. And then an hour later, you find yourself face down in a trifle, sucking it up with all of your gusto and wondering, oh, what happened there? Why did I give in to the trifle? Bad me. When what you should have done was say, get away from me, Satan. Back off, buddy. Not having it. Bad. Go. That's the way we do it. You rebuke him and he will flee. You have the power, you have the authority to stand up and say, get out, Satan. Not having it. You have that authority. It's been given to you. And sometimes that's the only way you can actually win. Your strength will fail. His doesn't. 
Remember a verse. If you've got an addiction, if you've got something in your life that keeps calling you back, pulling you back away from God, if you've got a specific temptation, then I guarantee you in this lovely little book, there is a verse that speaks about it and what it is and what you should do about it. Find that verse. It won't be terribly hard to do because this is a book covering human behaviour. So uh, you'll probably find it on many of the pages, to be honest. Find those verses. Find one that really speaks to you about that temptation and remember it. Commit it to memory. So that when that temptation comes up, when that trifle says, bury your face in me, you can go, no, for it is written that you shall not bury your face in a trifle because it's not good for you. You can do that. And you remember that verse and you say, no, this verse gets away. And guess what happens? Guess what happens? Who knows what happens when you do that? The temptation goes away because the devil flees. It's in there, says it. If you fight the devil with scripture, he can't argue. He's got no power. It's imagined power. He's pretending that he's got the power, and he hasn't. That's what he's doing all the way through this verse. He's pretending. He's the great pretender, as Freddie Mercury used to sing. He has no power. We give him the power by submitting to him. And that's exactly what Christ would have done had he got on his knee. He would have handed devil the power, the authority over him. He would have surrendered his very nature by submitting and worshipping the devil. So what happens once we beat the temptation? And all of us have got those temptations, haven't we? Every single one of us has something very specifically that is holding us back from accomplishing the next step in our walk with faith. Every single one of us has this. Every single one of us is on this like spiritual staircase. And it doesn't matter where the person next to you is on that staircase. It doesn't matter at all to you. What matters is where you are on that spiritual staircase. Now the devil, what he wants you to do is to step backwards all the way down to that point where you didn't know Christ. And once you're there, guess what happens once you're there? Once you are back where you didn't know Christ, guess what happens? Does the devil stay with you to keep you company? Nope. Off he pops. He doesn't give a monkeys about you. He's off to the next one. There is a spiritual war going on. Easter, it always starts to ramp up because we start to look more intently, more earnestly, more longingly at the cross. It becomes our focus. 
and he hates it. And he will twist things. And he wants you to take those steps back. But if you fight temptation with scripture, causing the devil to flee, guess what happens? You become stronger. And the next time that that temptation comes, you say that verse with a little bit more gusto. And you see the devil sprint off in the distance like roadrunner. And the next time it comes back, well, you don't even have to think. You just go bang. And off he pops again. And before long, he won't even bother trying to tempt you because he knows he can't. And that is when you have won an important victory in your life. That's when you take another step up that walk of faith. But don't think he won't come back, because he will. He'll always find a little hole to scrabble into. And that's when you've got to start the process again. You pick up your book and you go, well, there seems to be something else that's tempting me now. So I'll go in here and have a look. I'll get it out the right way. It helps. And I find another verse. And then after you've won all these battles, do you know what happens? You start thinking, ooh, getting pretty good at this. I think I'm probably the most humble person ever. I think I'm probably a much better Christian than uh, that person that sits over the other side of church because I've conquered temptation. And I can see, just by looking at them, they haven't. So <laughs> that means I must be a good Christian oopsie the big one slipped in didn't it pride he loves that one he wants you to be sanctimonious he wants you to be full of pride he wants you to have pride in your heart at how well you are doing believe me once pride swallows you you are royally <laughs> That's a hard one to wheedle out. Little habits that we do during the day, they can be quite easily managed. But once you get pride in your heart, well, you and the Lord have got some work to do. Pride is, what is it they say? Pride comes before a... Pride came before the fall. It was the result of the fall. Pride putting oneself before something else. I think I know better than God, so I'm going to take the apple. Pride did come before the fall. Don't let it happen to you. So what are you going to do when temptation hits? What are you going to do? Go away, Satan. Go away, Satan. What verses are you going to find? Think about them now. Think about your temptation. Quick and easy way of doing this, right? Go on to Google. Write in your temptation and then put next to it Bible verse. Yeah, I've done that as well. Leading good way of doing it. You will probably, in the top answers, depending on what search engine you use, you will find... Um, a website called, I think it is, Open Bible. 
Now, that will have a great big long list of all the verses that deal with the specific thing that you've put into it. And you can just go through and find one that speaks to you. Find the shortest one that you can honestly say speaks to you and you can remember and remember it. Write it down. Do you know what? Let's go Old Testament here. Write it down on your hand. Write it on your forehead if you need to, backwards, so when you stand in the front of the mirror, you can read it. Put it on your lamp, your doorposts. Put it on your gateposts. Let it be the first thing you see when you enter your house. Make a picture of it. Put it on the wall. Do whatever it takes to get that verse in, because that is the armor of God. We always say, don't we, about... Oh, let's put on the armor of God. Well, what is the armor of God? The armor of God is scripture. Put that on. Put the scriptures on. Then fight. So much easier. Now, next week, we're going to be looking at Jesus coming into Jerusalem. It's Palm Sunday next week. Um, It's a very special time. And it also gives us an opportunity to approach the cross because the king has arrived the king's been recognized the king is coming into the city that wouldn't have been possible without these passages if you look in your bible in matthew you will see that directly after these passages after the temptations my bible says the very very next words after the angels came and ministered to Jesus, Jesus begins to preach. And then you start seeing, ah, that's why he was so insistent on stopping Jesus from accompanying his mission, because Jesus was about to preach the word of God. Jesus was about to talk to people about the word of God. And guess what his message was? Repent. Repent. Turn away from sin. The devil was not a happy bunny. By turning away from sin, you will be preaching the word of God because you will be encouraged and you will tell others about it. Someone once said of me, Ian, you're a man that's been forgiven a lot. You don't know how much. I want you to have the same passion the same oh what's the word impetus I want you to be a people that have been forgiven much I want that for you I want you to repent I want you to turn away from the stuff that is holding you back And why? Well, because I know what he can do. The fact I'm standing here at the front is a testimony to what God can do with a turd. He can polish those. He can make those look like something amazing. He can make you do amazing, wonderful things. You can extend the kingdom of God. And you're a wretch like me. That's the power he has. 
He can turn it around and he can save people through you. And all you've got to do is fight temptation. Let me pray for you. Father God, as we approach Easter, Lord, help us to be more like you. Help us to have the strength to turn to your scriptures. Help us in our moments of weakness, those times when we just give in, the times when temptation becomes all too much and we just embrace it, Father. Help us to see what that really means in the kingdom of heaven. Father, I ask you to really bless and encourage everyone this morning here. Help them to put on the armour of God every day, every second of the day, Lord. Help them to find those verses in scripture where they can see their need on a page. Help their minds remember it, Lord. Father, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's say the grace together, shall we? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. God bless everyone. Let's get some coffee.